If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to take it and turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark chapter 6, verse 45, I'm going to look at another very familiar miracle, another very familiar sign of God that came from Jesus Christ. But I think there's a lot in this miracle that we can learn for ourselves. You know, in the military, I made some tough calls at times. I had to, had to make some hard decisions about certain things. But usually, either the regulations or my positional authority backed me up. And I didn't have to like sweat whether how people were going to accept it. It was just the way we're supposed to do it. But in this calling that I have endeavored to pursue for the last four years, when doing the right thing seems hard, I have Jesus Christ to back me up. And that's all I need. But it's a little harder, but that's all I need. They, God and Jesus are always a majority in our corner. And that's what I think we learn from this, kind of some negative examples when you look at the disciples in the crowd. But I think that's what we learn about this, our Savior, in this passage. So let, follow along as I read, starting with verse 45 through 56. So this is after feeding the 5,000. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful story and account of your son walking on the water. Jesus, you are the creator, and you proved that last week in the feeding of the 5,000. From mere nothing, you created food for 20,000 people. So this morning we see the creator showing up one more time in, in a mighty way. May we learn the lessons of this passage this morning and speak to our hearts, Father. Help us to apply it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this text displays the power of the creator, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that walking on the water is not something the average Joe can do. But the disciples and the crowds they still didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand. They show very little real faith in Christ after this miracle. And Jesus Christ, he wields the power of the creator 
which he proves, and it proves that he's mighty to save. He's able to save souls from hell. And that's what he's proven this morning. How can, the, how can we trust the power of Jesus in our lives? Well, we're going to see some negative examples of how they didn't so that we can, how we should live and act in our path of faith. So from the disciples and the crowd, we can learn trusting Jesus in three different settings, three different issues or scenarios, if you want to call them that, and it can expand our faith. First of all, Jesus is trustworthy in the hard choices. We're going to look at that. Trust Jesus with the hard decisions, verses 45 through 48. I'm going to reread that. This is pretty astounding. So immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Another time Jesus gets alone and prays to his father. I think it's important. Well, into the night... The boat was in the middle of the sea. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. It's interesting, some of the thoughts that's been out there about Jesus walking on the water. So after he's feeding the 5,000, which really is 20,000 people, because only the men were counted during this time, Jesus sends disciples, he sends them out to sea. Go to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a place on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The name means house of fish, which kind of is common because fishing was a big industry on the Sea of Galilee. So he sends them over there. But why is he sending the crowd away and the disciples out to sea? Well, we get a little help from John chapter 6 that talks about this same miracle. After Jesus fed the 5,000 men, 20,000 people, the crowd came and wanted to make him king. They They were bent on making him king because they thought that's what the Messiah was supposed to do, rule them. Well, Jesus sent them away because if that had happened, the Roman soldiers would have come in and probably killed a bunch of them because revolts are not, were not smiled on favorably by the Roman Empire. So Jesus is protecting them from themselves, but it's also not Jesus' time to be made king. It's not his time. So he sends the disciples out to sea, sends the crowd away, and in John 6, we get it, it was really difficult for Jesus to get them to stop trying to make him king. And then Jesus does something that we should do often. He goes up to the mountain and prays. He goes to talk to his father. Maybe because that was a temptation. That crowd was making it real easy for him to step into the role of an earthly king. I don't think his sinful nature was, he doesn't have a sinful nature, so I don't think he was really struggling with that as much. But he went to get strengthened again by his father. Spend time in prayer with his father. And his disciples were out on the sea. And Jesus sees from the, the shore, which is basically the, the shore of Sea of Galilee is higher, obviously, than the lake level, way higher. So he could see the disciples in the middle of the sea struggling, rowing against the wind. You're wondering, why were they rowing against the wind? Well, we'll talk about that. The disciples were told to go to Bethsaida. Jesus gave them a, a command. Well, they were trying to obey it, regardless of the wind. So they didn't have the sail up. They were rowing with their oars. Jesus sees their struggle. He sees the dilemma they're in. He sees them attempting 
to get to Bethsaida, he sees what they're doing, and he waits. Even seeing it, he waits several hours. Most scholars think that he saw this in the, in the first or second watch of the night, which would be somewhere between 6 and midnight. Some think it was probably after, in the second watch, it would be from 9 to midnight. He waited until very early in the morning, which would be the third or fourth watch, sometime around 3 a.m. maybe. He watched them for several hours. Why does he do that? Why does he see them toiling, trying to get to Bethsaida and not making much progress, and he waits? Because his desire is always, always to increase our faith. That's Jesus' desire. Anytime we face a trial or a tribulation or a tough choice, his desire is for our faith to grow, our faith to get stronger. He sees their attempts to obey him. He's watching their perseverance as they attempt to get to Bethsaida. And they are never out of his reach or his compassion during that whole time. See, Jesus is still caring for them, even though he's not down there solving their problem yet. He still cares, but he waits to save them for their sake and for his glory. And sometimes that's a hard thing for us as Christians to get over is that sometimes these things happen to us for God's glory. And our obedience brings glory to God. And that's what his disciples are, are doing. So he waits till very early in the morning and then, boom, he shows up. Not in another boat, not in a Coast Guard cutter, not in a helicopter to save them. He's walking on the water. Now, some people use the term he, he had the power to suspend gravity, but that's not what happened. See, if he had suspended gravity, the water would have been coming out of the lake, the boat would have floated off the thing. I mean, you've seen outer space pictures, right? If gravity was suspended, everything would have been in chaos. No, Jesus was demonstrating the power above gravity, over gravity. He was resisting gravity, pulling him into the sea. That's power. That's real power. Obviously, you've seen a you have a magnet, you put something metal on it, it'll hold it, and you can hold it there, and it won't be pulled off by gravity. But you can put a big enough weight on a magnet, and it'll eventually be pulled off. Jesus wasn't pulled under the depths by gravity. He resisted gravity by his power. Jesus shows up in, a, in, in such power for their problem. Because he's the creator. He's the creator. He resists gravity's pull under the sea. And then Peter, in another account, not here, but in Matthew, Peter tries to do the same thing. He says, Jesus, let me come out. And he gets out on the water and he takes a few steps, but he doesn't have the power. He has faith in the person who has the power until he sees how rough the sea is and how heavy the wind is. And then he starts sinking and he cries out for Jesus to save him. But that's another story in another gospel. But their hard choice to keep rowing toward Bethsaida, that was the hard choice they made. Listen, you know, they're, they're experienced fishermen. When the wind's against you, you just go with it. You, you go with it and try another day. You don't fight it with oars. But they were told by Jesus, go to that city. So they were rowing. They kept rowing. They made the hard choice to keep rowing. And it's, it led to experiencing a very mighty miracle. Jesus walking on the water. Have you ever struggled or prayed or sweated over having to do something that was right, but it was really, really hard? And then when you get to that point and you do it, it wasn't as hard as you thought it was. 
because God showed up in his power. He makes it easier. He works ahead of us. It's happened. Happened to me many a times. Well, Paul struggled in his faith to do what is right, and he talks about that in Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to turn over there, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Paul gives a great explanation of, of how his faith to do right in the hard circumstances always wins out. Look at verses 8 through 11. Paul is explaining to the church in Philippi, and he says, More than that, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal... Paul says, my goal is to know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. See, Paul's goal is to continue to live in faith, to make the hard choices, to live the hard life of, of faith. He's made that choice. And we need to make that choice. That's what the disciples were trying to make on the Sea of Galilee. When we profess faith in Jesus Christ, back to your conversion, back to the moment that you believe Jesus Christ was the only way to be forgiven, the only way to make yourself right with God, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we say that he is Lord of our life. Now, some people want to say, well, just being a Christian, you can be a Christian and not make Jesus Lord of your life. That's not in the Bible anywhere. You cannot make him Savior and not Lord. He is Savior and Lord. The Lord part may take a while. It may take some time. You may have to work at it for a little while. That's called sanctification. And that goes on. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. This means that we follow Jesus and we live under his guidance. It means also that changes will be made, but they're not going to be easy. It will mean giving up behaviors modifying our life, adopting new behaviors in our life. It'll mean stop living opposed to God and start living for God. Let's start living in the right manner for God. That's what being saved means. Being born again has to mean you changed. It has to be, mean that something happened has happened. We can't rationalize our behaviors based on the world's logic. We can't do that. We can't ignore his calling to do the right thing. We can't. As Christians, we're not allowed. We have to listen to him. We have to read his word. We have to try our best with his help to obey. Is it easy to change? No. No. I've talked with lots of believers, and most of them can quit some things pretty easy. Most of them can change some things. But there's always this one thing hanging around that's hard to get rid of. But as long as you keep pressing on, working on it, repenting of it, God will be good to you. He'll forgive you. Faith in Christ will help you in all of, because we know he's the creator. He has the power to help us. Jesus is powerful and faithful to help us as long as we persevere and as long as we repent when we fail. See, there's no one and done. It's a, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant walk. 
as the disciples found out, it's a constant rowing. Don't stop rowing. Keep rowing. Jesus will bless you in that. See what Paul says in this passage in Philippians 3, in verse 12. He says, he says not that I have already reached the goal. So he's not there. Paul's not there? Nope, he's not there. Not that I've already reached the goal or have already been made perfect, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, that goal, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. See, because of Christ Jesus, he can keep on reaching for the goal. He can keep rowing. He can keep trying. We can make hard decisions to do the right things, and we can live through them when we trust Jesus completely as our creator, as our savior, as our Lord. So you can trust Jesus with the hard decisions. And you can trust him when doing the right thing might seem difficult. But you can also trust him when the unthinkable looms in front of you. Trust Jesus with the worst cases. Let's look at verses 49 through 52. Jesus is walking on the water and now... The disciples have spotted him. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And he got into a, the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. And Jesus is walking on the water. And, and there's a phrase in, in the previous passage about he intended to pass them by. It doesn't really mean he intended to walk by them and hope they didn't notice. It means that he wanted to come alongside them. It's kind of a nautical sailing term. He was going to intersect with them, okay? So Jesus comes to them. They, they see him and they start screaming. That's what that means. They didn't, just, they didn't just go, oh my gosh, they screamed. I'm not going to scream for you. You know how that sounds. They, they are, are screaming, they are terrified, and they attribute what they see to evil. They think something evil has happened. They think a phantom is showing up, an apparition is coming to shipwreck them. That's, their mind goes to the worst case scenario. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Anybody else? Something's happening and your mind goes to the worst case scenario. Yes, we're all guilty of that. They were believed they were being attacked. Their superstition took them in the wrong direction. It took them to the worst case. But immediately to their fright and their panic, Jesus speaks. Three sentences. Be courageous. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. It is I, do not be afraid. Their, their terror was met with the voice of their master. And he's saying, face your terror. Jesus is here. Let go of your fear. That's what he's trying to get them to understand right there on that spot. And his words should have been enough for them. I mean, okay, it's Jesus Jesus is here. We're good to go. But Jesus always over delivers, okay? He gives us extra. Not only did he say, don't be afraid. It is I. Be courageous. The wind stopped. The storm was gone. Now they really should know Jesus is there. 
He over-delivers. Jesus always gives them more. And then in John chapter 6, it just says that when he gets in the boat, the wind stops, the storm ceases, and they are instantly at shore where they were going. I don't know if it was Bethsaida or if it was Gennesaret. We're not really 100% sure. Scholars are discussing that. But the point is, is that Jesus showed up. The worst case scenario for them turned into the best case scenario for them. How's that proof for power? I mean, that's proof right there. Yet, our lovely disciples, the 12 of them, still did not understand. They didn't get the lesson from the loaves that he was the creator of the universe. Remember last week I talked about the loaves and the fish. He's breaking off meal-sized chunks of these five loaves and two fish, and it never stops coming. He does it for hours to feed 20,000 people. He is a creator. From nothing, he creates everything we see. But they didn't get it. They were astounded, amazed, maybe one version says. They were astounded, but only in their mind. Well, that's a pretty cool trick, Jesus. You know, you're walking on the water. You're stopping the storm. That's pretty cool. But their hearts were still calloused. Their hearts were still hard toward real faith in Jesus Christ. See, they had seen the feeding. They'd seen all the other miracles. They'd seen a dead girl raised to life. And they still didn't believe. Jesus removed their worst-case scenario, this ghost idea, this shipwreck idea. But they still couldn't trust him totally. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are always preparing for worst-case scenarios. Doomsdayers, they're called in some corners of the world. They're preparing for the worst disasters that could happen. You know, well, they may have a bunker. They may have stored a lot of food. I, you know, it's, the gamut runs wide. But I'm going to tell you something. The best prep for any of these things is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because he can help in this life, and he will definitely help you in the next life. And that's seeing the faith lived out. I want you to see a, a great story in Old Testament time. Daniel chapter 3 of a group of young men who were in a, a worst-case scenario. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he had created this golden image and wanted everybody to bow down to it. He wanted control of their worship. That's why he did it. So he creates this golden image. And there are some Jewish men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they don't bow down. And someone tattletales on them because everybody else did it. Why are they not doing it? Well, so anyway, Nebuchadnezzar promised that anybody that doesn't bow down is going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so I'm not going to read you the whole story, but in chapter 3 of Daniel, verses 15 through 18, here's the confrontation between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He says, Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that can rescue you from my power? Wow. Talk about some arrogance. Who is the God that can rescue you from my power? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
We don't need to give you an answer to this question. If, God, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Here's the kicker. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. No matter what happens, we're not changing our loyalty. We're not changing our allegiance. Even if God does not show up and rescue us from this fiery furnace, we're not changing. We're not giving in. I mean, that's a worst-case scenario, right? And they trusted God with it. They trusted. And we can trust Jesus with our worst nightmares. Our worst nightmares really should be nothing more than just unpleasant dreams now especially in Jesus Christ. As believers, we shouldn't be afraid of nightmares and, and, and the, the worst-case scenarios. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, eternal life is your comfort. When your worries and your fears become terrors and despair, trust Jesus. That's all he's asking you to do. He walks on water. He calms the storms. He steals the wind, and he gets you safely home. And I'm not talking about down the street. I'm talking about the eternal home. Here's what he's saying to you and I this morning. Through these three sentences, he said to his disciples, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness and faith to face fear. So have courage. Be courageous. He says, I am the great I am. I am the creator. You need to trust in no one else but me. That's what he's saying to us. Do not allow the fears of this temporal world, this earthly life, to overwhelm you. Be unafraid in Jesus. We have a, we have a memory verse we learned several months ago, maybe even a year ago. Psalms 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. All you who put your hope in God. I hope you're one of those that put your hope in God. In the worst case scenario, do not allow your heart to become callous to Jesus' power. His miracle, the miracle at Christmas. We need to still feel wonder at that. That God came down and incarnated himself in a little baby. Learn the lesson of the miracle here. And the miracle in your life in other areas. And trust him with the worst case scenario. So decisions and scenarios, they can stress our, our faith. And it, it happens. We've all been there. But by his blood, we can trust Jesus all the way to the other side. And that's what we see next. Trust Jesus with all of life. Not just this one, but the next one. Verses 53 through 56. So now they, they have crossed the, the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're back on the eastern shore, western shore. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Whenever he went into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it 
was healed. Whoa. So they show up, and he's recognized immediately. Because he's been in that area. The plain of Gennesaret, where they landed, is where Capernaum is on one end, and, and all the little villages and towns he's been going to since we started Mark is in that area. He's been doing a lot of healing and helping in that area. So they instantly recognize Jesus. The reason I know that too is because they didn't run up to Jesus. They ran to get people because they knew he could heal them. So they immediately went out. Instead of crowding Jesus, they went out and grabbed people that were sick, bringing them to him on mats. And they brought him because they knew Jesus could heal. They knew that he could make their physical life and physical health better, regardless of the disease. I mean, they... He, they'd seen him cure leprosy. They'd seen him heal blindness and deafness and, and raise a girl from the dead. They'd seen him do all this stuff. And verse 56 is really more of a summation of, of all that Jesus has done when it says, whenever he went into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he, they might touch just the end of his robe and everyone who touched it was healed. This is a summary showing us the enormous popularity of Jesus. He's very popular because he can make you feel better. He can make your health better. But this popularity is in stark contrast to what Mark will show us later when the crowds cry, crucify him. The crowd's a fickle crowd. Someday he'll face that, but not yet. He's very popular. He's very popular. And so these sick people believe that just touching Jesus's robe would make them well they had faith in his ability to heal in this life but not necessarily in the next see it was a superstition of the day that the power of a person emanated in their clothing as well we saw it earlier when we, we talked about the woman who came up behind jesus and she'd had this illness for 12 years and she'd never had any gotten any help from him, and she touches the end of his robe and she's healed it's not because she touched his robe it's because she had faith it's the same with this. Jesus is allowing the power to come out of him to heal these people when he walks by them. And they touch the edge of his robe. See this, But this summation that Mark gives us in verse 56 is, is good and, and it's bad. It's good because the people believe Jesus for healing. The people let Jesus heal them and believe that he could. Their visible infirmities, they, they let him. They, they believed. That's the good part. But they did not grasp completely their need for healing that would come through the cross. They did not understand that they had an eternal illness, an eternal sickness called sin that needed healing. Yet their healing now might make way for them to find eternal healing at Pentecost or even later when Jesus rises from the dead. God only knows, and he receives the glory. You know, we got modern technology today that can, that can tell you in your heart whether it's beating right or not, the valves are working right or not. It's pretty amazing what they can tell about a heart today just by a simple scan. Pretty amazing. But you know what? It will never, ever diagnose the eternal problem with our hearts. The, the fact that our hearts stand condemned before God without faith in Jesus Christ. And the next life, all this technology can't tell you whether your heart's good or not. This life can be lived with a hard heart, a calloused heart, 
But the next life must have a soft heart. A soft heart toward Christ. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, our hearts carry the faith in Jesus for the next life. That's what our hearts are for. Jesus can be trusted with hard decisions. He can be trusted with the worst case scenarios. And he can definitely be trusted with the totality of life beyond this one. That's what we can trust him with. When Jesus becomes your Savior and Lord, your sins are forgiven. Your heart is made new. And your spirit is refreshed. That's when you accept Christ as your Savior. That's what happens. God heals you totally from the condemnation that you stand under. From the inside out, he heals you to live for him. He creates desire and determination so that you will forsake your past and, and seize and pursue your future with him. It'll improve your future by grace. What's grace? Well, it's unmerited favor and love. It's something we don't deserve. Grace is something we don't deserve. And he shows it through his son, Jesus Christ. Grace grants us the life God intended all humans to live, which was freedom from the chain of death and hell. Trust Jesus, the one with the power of the creator, to heal your life, your temporal life even at times, but definitely your eternal life. You know, Jesus is the creator. We've seen it in both of these passages these last two weeks. And in those miracles, we see him as the creator. And we need to learn, learn that. We need to remember that. We need to believe it. Why won't you believe it? When life gets tough and situations become hard, doing the right thing may seem impossible. But know what you've heard today. Know what you've heard today. Jesus will be with you if you will just give him the space to work. Give him the opportunity to show up. Out of the blue, he'll walk on the water toward you and help you. Give Jesus the space to work for you by trusting him. He has the power to pull you through, to pull you up, to pull you out of all of the world's garbage. So let him do it. Give him the opportunity to do that. Believer, you've heard the voice of the Savior this morning. Have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. I hope you've heard that this morning. Because that message he said to the disciples is to us too. Have courage. Now do what he says. Tell someone about Jesus. Talk about having courage. Sometimes a lot of us need a lot of courage to tell someone about the gospel and Jesus Christ. Test your courage. Do not be afraid. Jesus is with you. Now, if you wanted to deliver the experience, the deliverance power of the Creator, you can trust Jesus today by faith. And all faith does is it says, with conviction and meaning it, I trust you, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, for the forgiveness of my sins. You are the only way I can make myself right with God is by trusting you. It's the only way. And you believe it without reservation. You don't hold back. You believe that he can pay your death, death sentence that you owe to God. And you repent. You turn away from all those things we've been talking about that you've been trusting in, that you've been relying on, that you've been worried about, those worst-case scenarios and hard decisions. You give those up and trust Jesus. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is all the hope we need. You sent your son to be our Savior. By grace, through faith, we can believe that. And may we believe it. And may we keep believing it and keep believing it and, and hearing it in our hearts and our minds every day. May we trust you with that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing about what Jesus does by his blood. Makes us whiter than snow.